Coming up on episode 12 of Off Air with Joe and Oral. Baseball Oral is officially back. And Dave Roberts is here to tell us everything, every detail about spring training. All right. And uh, let's address this right now because we've already gotten a few questions about it. Just because baseball is back doesn't mean this podcast goes away, does it? It does not. We're going to do this every week and we're going to continue on. And you guys convinced me to do it. And I am so glad we are. I'm having a blast. Can't wait to keep it going. And I think it's going to bring a whole nother level of insight and inside info as this season gets going. Today's podcast is brought to you by San Manuel Casino, AMPM 76, and Security Benefit. San Manuel Casino is now open and wants to thank you for waiting and doing your part to stay safe. Now they're ready to do theirs. You'll notice increased health and safety measures in place for all the casino's valued guests and team members, including extra care with cleanliness training team members on current safety measures and uh, rearranging the fun and the thrills on site that'll give you more space to play safely. Through the new San Manuel Mobile Meals Program, guests can take their favorite foods for takeout using their mobile device, and our new guest safety concierge team is working around the clock to take care of you. So things might look a little different, but San Manuel Casino's dedication to warm greetings, friendly service remains. You can get more information on all of this by going to sammanuel.com slash guest safety. The thrills are back. So are the jackpots only at San Manuel Casino. All thrill. Must be 21 to enter the casino. Go to sammanuel.com to learn more. As a proud partner of the Dodgers, AMPM wants to remind you that they are your one-stop shop for all your baseball snack cravings. Whether you're wanting a delicious Dodger dog or a rib sandwich, or maybe you just want to sneak in for a fountain drink and a warm cookie, AMPM's got you all covered with the stacking bases covered. So you can pick up some nachos, listen to me and Joe, and talk to our favorite baseball players as you listen, and then it's almost like baseball is back. AMPM, too much good stuff. When you get gas at 76, you can save up to 25 cents per gallon when you pay with the My76 app. So go ahead, count your savings cent by cent. 25 cents is a combined savings of 15 cents off per gallon, up to 30 gallons at participating 76 locations, and 10 cents off per gallon when you pay with the My76 app. Select payment methods may apply. The offer is valid through September 30th, 2020. UCLA Health, official medical partner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, wants you to remember that you've got to continue to do your part to play for Team LA. That means wearing your face mask covering out in public, but it also means that every Angelino has to keep up with their regular medical care. So do your part. For your own health, for your family's health, for your community's health, go ahead and book a doctor's appointment or schedule a video visit. We need you on this team. The people of Los Angeles have shown that they are resilient as individuals, but we're unstoppable when we work together from frontline healthcare workers, grocery store clerks, delivery drivers, and folks working at home to everyone keeping their physical distance and regularly washing their hands. We all play for Team LA. Visit UCLAHealth.org to learn more about how you can do your part. And finally, every winning season is built on a strong team, a team that's committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know you've got a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option, so talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. 
Security Benefit is a proud sponsor of the Dodgers. All right, it's time for episode 12 of Off Air. Hit it, Frankie. So we officially, officially have baseball back. Guys, what was your reaction? What were your emotions when you saw it became really official? I'll let you go first, Oral. How about that? Wow, Skipper. Thank you. This is usually a media scrum where you do most of the talking, but I'm serious. Uh, my first reaction was finally uh, relieved, kind of a deep breath, and then really starting to go over the details of what this season could be like yeah and i think i can echo that um it was more of yeah the relief like it finally happened it's finally gonna happen and then my mind just goes right into how it's gonna happen and connecting with coaches players um how spring training is going to look how we're going to manage it and then uh, as we get ready for the season so that's kind of where my mind is at right now and that's what we're going to focus on this week. We figure we got a few weeks here during spring training 2.0 to focus a little more on what a 60-game season looks like, the strategy that comes with that. But we want to hear about what's gone on in the 24 to 48 hours since it became official and the planning that's going on leading into spring training 2.0. So you find out as part of this going official that July 1st is going to be the report date. You mentioned you start to reach out to some players and some coaches. What else happens? You find out July 1st, from your perspective with the planning, what's gone on the last couple of days? Well, there, there's been numerous uh, Zoom calls with the organization and our, our training staff, medical staff, they've been fantastic and kind of educating me with health and safety protocols that they've kind of been working through with doctors and, and Major League Baseball. And so for me to kind of get some insight on how it could work, and there's a lot as far as the staggering, the social distancing, the testing every day for there's tiers of players and coaches. Tier one is every day on field. Tier two is not every day, and they're getting tested a few times a week, but tier one's every day. Then there's tier three who don't have the access to the clubhouse. And so how that all looks um, it is a lot of the conversations, um, you know, when guys are going to report, when they come in, um, are we going to work as <clears throat> we're going to have a satellite site, which is to be determined right now with where it's going to be 20 players, uh, in Los Angeles somewhere, there's going to be 40 players at Dodger stadium working with, you know, with the coaches and trainers that's for spring training. And so how we manage both clubhouses and use that one facility for 40 players, is it going to be 10, 10, 10, 10, or is it going to be 40 at one time? And so how that all looks, these are some of the conversations we're having. It could be some long days for coaches and manager. Uh, if you have the staggered workouts from like nine in the morning, all the way till four in the afternoon or five in the afternoon, whatever it takes, because, uh, 
as they try to keep the social distancing or the sensitivity distancing to stay healthy, uh, a lot of times it's not going to, you're not going to have, be able to have 40 guys in the locker room, 40 guys near the training room, 40 guys on the field. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, and then one part of that oral is um, we're going to use both clubhouses. So there's 40 guys there. So whether it's going to be, you know, 20 and 20 or 25 and 15 to kind of divvy it up with training staff, coaches and, and then players from both sides because we have the access to the visiting side and cages as well bullpens as well um, that's one component and yeah to your point it could be long days but I do know that for the regular season they put uh, restrictions as far as five hours before the game they don't want anyone there to limit that I don't know what they've done as far as that with coaches for spring training but yeah, if you're going to stagger it, certainly the coach's days are going to be longer, but that's sort of kind of what we sign up for. So there's obviously excitement around the return of baseball naturally, but we're also seeing positive tests pop up across baseball. I think Charlie Blackman of the, the Rockies tested positive with just small workouts at Coors Field. Uh, there's 101 pages guiding us through this, the health and safety protocols, but given all that, Doc, what do you sense the tone is, the level of trepidation with the players and the staff going into this whole thing? I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that it runs the whole gamut. And I think that it's going to be interesting, guys, where we, me, the organization, coaches, um, you know, players themselves can't minimize what people are feeling. And there's other people that are more concerned than others. And other people that have had people that have tested positive, um, but also understanding that we are here. Um, the goal is to to win the World Series, and how we best get guys prepared physically and mentally, emotionally. Um, so that's going to be kind of a balancing act. Um, obviously, health has got to be at, at the top. Um, and I do know that if players, which I haven't had a player yet come to me and say they want to opt out. And if they do choose that, I fully support them 100%. Um, but yeah, I, I think that more will be known as, as the days going forward. You know, Skip, I think there's going to be some more mental gymnastics for this year. Um, you know, you go into team meetings, you study the opposing team, their tendencies, you study scouting reports, how you're going to pitch people. But if I was pitching in this generation with these rules, I would be pre-planning my whole day of how I'm going to move from the locker room. How am I going to get my stretches? Am I going to be allowed to get a massage? You know, how am I going to get to the bullpen then from the bullpen back to where I'm going to be sitting in between innings? And how am I going to function? Because so much of this is creatures of habit. You think of Clayton and you think of all the different pitchers that they like to sit a certain place. They like to have their jacket a certain place. They, they go about their day. They're going to have to pre-plan that this year so that they don't have that kind of interrupt the ability to compete. No, no, absolutely. And I think that because it's so unprecedented and it's out of the norm and people's routines that I do think that the, the teams, the players that adjust uh, the quickest, that are the most nimble are going to individually and collectively have the most success. And um, certainly it's it's not more evident than this year when there's only going to be 60 games and you just don't have that time to recover from a slow start. So I think for me, the messaging is to be open and it is the impetus is on the players, you know, because I think a lot of it 
is we have the staff, training staff, coaches, uh, video meetings, um, preparation as far as their bodies, where they've got to take it upon themselves to do a lot of the prep work, um, whether it's game planning, the physical part of it, all that stuff, all as, as you mentioned before. And so where do you expect guys to be, I guess, most, most specifically pitchers coming into this? Because you got three and a half weeks to get ready as opposed to a month and a half, like when you're coming into a normal spring training. Um, I, I think that the, the, the starting, the, the relief pitchers will, will be fine. I, I think that still getting guys to be able to go multiple innings is going to be um, very important. Uh, we have a lot of guys that can get left and get right out, but I think that because the starters won't be built up to your point, Joe, um, you know, to the 90 pitch plateau where typically guys as you break camp are ready for, um, and I don't know what that looks like. And, and we won't really know until we get to spring training because Clayton could be built up more than Walker, let's say, uh, versus more than David. And, and I don't know that answer. Um, so I know we're going to go with the five man rotation, you know, but I still think that there's certainly got to be a buildup, you know, as we, you know, move forward the weeks throughout the season. Logistically, is it everybody reports on the first pitchers and catchers come first? What's that all going to look like? I, I think that's our plan. Um, you know, if if the first is the reporting date, but then there's testing that needs to go through. So I think the first, as I understand, the first day of workouts would be uh, July 3rd. And so we would have the option if we wanted to, to stagger it and have pitchers and catchers show up one day on the third and, you know, push the position players back. But I do think that for us, I think that we're probably going to have everyone report the same day. That'll be July 3rd. And you've got 60 man rosters and then you start with 30 and after two weeks, it goes to 28. And after two more weeks, it goes to 26. And there's no combination of what has to be on the roster, right? You can go with as many pitchers as you want. Um, right. Correct. I, I, right. I think that's, that's yeah. correct. That is correct. And, and so we, we've got the 40, um, at home and then now it's kind of just trying to figure out the 30 situation. And, and that's, you know, again, like where guys are being built up and how it fits, you know, for our club, but obviously with 30 players, you know, you have a lot more latitude and flexibility. I could see you, uh, Maybe if there's rules about not being able to come to the park by a certain hour, I could see you guys having a suite in a hotel where you guys all gathered coaches and front office and people to actually have meetings and to get ready for that day's work or for a spring training day. Because if you're not allowed to be at the ballpark, there'll be other places maybe that you could get together to, to talk shop. No, a absolutely. And that's where it's like the tiers. So the tier one you know, we're getting tested every day. So those meetings, um, you know, offsite are certainly more likely to happen. And, and another thing I was going to say is that even with the tests that we're going to have with guys coming in, you know, we're going to test the spouses as well um, because they're a part of major league baseball has made that um, accessible to the spouses, which completely makes sense. Here's another logistical thing for you, Dave. How many guys are out of the country currently? Maybe you don't have a number, but you know what? It's for our guys that if you're talking about this potential 60 on both sites for both sites, I, I think it's less than less than a handful. And what are you um, hearing as far as logistics? So that give that's them the back? thing is that with, with, you know, passports and, and visas and things like that. Um, I haven't heard uh, Scott Akasaki, our traveling secretary kind of drives that. But from what I understand, it's not a problem as far as getting the guys that we do need to get um, back into the States. 
and I've, I've read too that there's a, some momentum between Major League Baseball and the government working together to get some flights chartered from particular countries where you know all the teams could benefit from getting everybody safely from these individual countries back to the U.S. Oh, that you know what, Joe, and that's news to me, and I think that that's fantastic. Where you know we're, we're all working together because I think ultimately we're trying to keep everybody safe, and it, it's unfortunately this. Uh, you know, if it affects one person, it could potentially affect thousands. So I, I love the way that I love hearing that. It sounds like that, uh, you know, the environment is going to be very personalized, like your own pine tar rag, your baseballs can't be used back to back days. As far as BP balls, they go to the bag and they have to be sanitized and you can't use them for five days. And guys are going to have, you know, their own kind of equipment everywhere. Can't even take your glove of your buddy out to shortstop if he makes the last out. He's going to have to come in and get it. It's, it, it's this whole change in culture. Yeah, it, it is, and you know we can we can you know talk about it, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, because the bottom line is, you know, there's going to be an umpire. There's going to be the catcher who's right sitting right in front of the umpire. There's going to be a batter. Um, you know, players aren't going to be wearing masks and, and you're still sharing the same space. So I think that being diligent with the testing is, is very important, obviously. And, you know, one thing about the testing is that there's no perfect science and there's going to be false positives. And so I think that that's something that, you know, you can, you know, you got to, you know, control what you do and, and, you know, divulge how you feel. But, the way, as I understand it, there are going to be false positives that hopefully doesn't, you know, set off alarms. Um, but obviously we got to be mindful of it. Um, so it's just, again, it's just something that no one knows about and we're just trying to be as safe and cautious and, and compete as much as we can. As you're going through this planning and, and getting ready for spring training 2.0, how often are you mentally putting yourself back in your playing shoes, uh, trying to think about what you would have wanted as a player? Um, a lot. And I think, I think me, the coaches, we do a great job of, of that on a daily basis, but none is more needed than this time. Um, and I think for any player or any employee, you just want honesty and as much information as you can. And so for me, it's important to listen to, to their needs and hear them. And, you know, there's certain things that we can adhere to and there's certain things that we can't, but I think that we're all trying to get clarity in whatever way from whatever lens. So I think it's just important for, for me to ask questions, um, and try to hear these guys because ultimately we need these guys to be in the best state of mind, uh, to perform. When you, when you talk about state of mind, I think of the managers of the Dodgers, uh, Walter Alston's and the Joe Torrey's and the Don Mattingly's and the Tommy Lasorda's and then yourself. Of those five I've just mentioned, you and Tommy are the best equipped for this situation because you bring the enthusiasm every day. I'm sure you're going to be motivating your coaches to bring the energy because there's going to be a different vibe. But we see that when there's 50,000 people or 5,000 people in a Marlins game and the Dodgers are playing them, we see your enthusiasm every single day. So I think your role is going to be huge, but your personality fits this situation to create that vibe. Now, well, well I, I really appreciate that, Oral. And, and I, I, it's, the game is hard. The game is hard. Um, and coaching 
players is a joy. It's not easy. Um, but I do think that, and I've talked to you about oral is we just, I just don't believe we as coaches can have a bad day. Um, we got to bring energy and we got to be willing to teach every day. And it's going to be interesting when we're used to 50,000 screaming Dodger fans. Um, and there's not going to be any fans there. So, um, we're going to have we'll to motivate bring you from the booth, Skip. We'll motivate you. Okay. We'll so I'm expecting really motivation from you two from the booth. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But you know what? These conversations, and I know you and I, us three, we've talked about even our Zoom that we had with the players uh, a couple uh, a week ago. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's like our guys have gr- grown even closer. You know, families around the world, the country have gone closer, gotten closer because of what's happened, you know, and with the social and just our guys have talked so much by way of a thread uh, that they've had all quarantine. We got on this Zoom call that the players initiated. So I'm really encouraged that we all understand there's a bigger purpose and it is a gift um, for us to be to have baseball in any semblance of, of a season. So there's going to be people that you know, complain about 60 games. It's not real season. I just think it's such a win and I'm excited for our players to kind of get around each other and compete again. But uh, so I think that they're fortunately pretty self-motivated too. galvanizing aspect really with what's going on in the world. And obviously everybody fighting against coronavirus, galvanizing for the players in the battle they were just in against the owners. I mean, there are a lot of reasons as you kind of referenced where this can be the opposite of put an asterisk next to it because it's 60 games extra emotionally charged to be the team that's standing at the end of it. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And I think that my encouragement to everybody is, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's fortunate. We're very fortunate to have baseball and enjoy the ride because these great athletes can't wait to get back on the field and all these circumstances um, that they're, that they've had to overcome to get to this point. Now it's as a fan, let's sit back and enjoy it and, and watch these great athletes and let's uh, see who, who's going to be the champion of 2020. And everybody has gained an appreciation for sport and for baseball specifically, right? The fans have missed baseball. The players have missed playing baseball. I think the players have gotten a simulation of what it's going to be like when they retire. So now, from now until for the rest of their career, they're going to appreciate walking out onto the grass at Dodger Stadium putting their spikes on, coming in and putting that beautiful white uniform on or gray uniform on the road, there's going to be an appreciation to life in Dodger baseball. That's, that's, that's well said. Um, just one last thing as far as the logistics. What are you hearing schedule-wise? I know 60 games, and I heard that it's going to be 40 against, in the Dodgers' case, the National League West, 20 interleague against the American League West. How does that get broken up? Because is it going to be so 10 games against each team in the division? Are you here in five game series or split up into two and three game series? I have not heard. I, I have heard that the schedule is supposed to come out in the next couple of days. And I have not got wind on how they're going to break that up. It, Cause it even, you know, you're looking at the interleague or the non-league games of 20 and there's five teams. So does that, mean you're going to play a four game series against each team in the American League West I don't know that answer Um, I do know that travel or you know the less we travel certainly the better Um, but what that looks like right now um, I I can't even speak to 
there's speculation that there'll be, of those 20, there'll be six against your rival. So I would guess they would name the Angels as the rival. We'd be seeing Trout and Otani an awful lot. And then the other 14 of those 20 could be dispersed between the rest of the interleague up and down the West Coast. So that will be very interesting. Uh, the Dodgers have the toughest time zone schedule being on the West because you have three time zones to deal with, Skip. You're going to have Pacific, Mountain, and Central, where the East Coast time zones, uh, they're all going to be in the East Coast time zone. And I think the farthest the Yankees and the Mets travel is something like 240 miles to get to an opponent where we're going to have a little bit more of a battle as far as travel when we get into the season. And, and it's interesting, Well, and to that, you know, is it, and that's only if, we'd have to go to Texas or Houston because um, right. potentially they could come to us and that would hopefully cut down on the, on, on the time zone, you know, conflicts. But yeah, if you look at the, the landscape of the different teams, potentially, certainly it, it would make it a lot more tough, you know, being a West coast team. Yeah. You know, I'm sure they're thinking about, you know, the safety issues too, with that travel, right? Like you just said that to make as easy as possible, because you don't want to turn a team around and get a team really tired. And maybe if fatigue has anything to do with catching the virus, because your immune system is down, you're going to want to keep the athletes, not only healthy, but you're going to want to keep them rested. Absolutely. So there's a lot of variables that I'm sure Major League Baseball and, you know, our guys in the front office are kind of coordinating with, with Major League Baseball to give, you know, our input as far as organization and every organization is doing that. Um, so hopefully, you know, we do what's best for everybody. Our top four this week, we're going to do together top four games that we either witnessed or participated and witnessed in person. And uh, Doc Oral and I are going to crash your party this week and share our top four with you. I'm going to let Oral start it off. Oral, what is your number four game that you experienced in person? So I'm going off the board, and I'm saying I watched this one on TV, but I felt like it was in person, and I hope it's not on the skips <laughs> list. I'm cheating on the first yeah. one because I, I wanted to get away from my career and get to somebody else that I really appreciated. So Vin Scully called this game, and it was in June of 2014, and it was Clayton Kershaw's no-hitter, mm. 15 strikeouts, no walks. Uh, 107 pitches, guys. 107 pitches to get 27 outs, and 15 of them were Ks. It was one of the most immaculate and perfect games I've ever seen thrown. And other than the, the error at shortstop, it should have been a perfect game. Doc. Wow, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I'll tell you, I, I this exercise is fun for me, and it's it, it's interesting because all of my games – most of my games, there's one game that I was a player, but all of my other games were when I was managing. And the game that sticks out to me is that JT walk-off against the Cubs. Um, they had just beat us the year prior and eliminated us. And to be at home and, gosh, the way to it's Cubs-Dodgers, and there was sort of that rivalry starting to build up between fan bases. And there's just no better player to, to end, to walk it off right there with the homer. So that, that is something. And then just to hear the crowd and JT's reaction was, was pretty special. On the anniversary of Gibby's walk-off home run. Yeah. How about you, Joe? Uh, my number four, TCU Texas Tech in 2015. TCU won 55-52. They were number three in the country at that point, but they won the game. It was an incredible game even before the finish. 
at the end, they win on a ball that gets tipped at the line of scrimmage and then a diving catch a guy makes in the back of the end zone. I was on the call of the game, and it's just a, a particularly fun one in Lubbock. Weird things happen in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, no different there. That's great. Good one. Oral, three. My number three, I actually just substituted. I had four of them written down, and I'm just substituting one in and knocking out my number three, and this is my number three. Now I'm going back to childhood. 12 years old, little league. Uh, division district district finals were down like 10 to 2. I know it's going to be my last little league at bat. And I wanted to end my little league career on a bang and thought, I need to hit a home run. This is going to be my last little league at bat. And I hit the home run and my mom got the ball. And so, yeah, I, that one just popped in as we're sitting here doing these. Did you still get crushed though as a 10 3 final? Yeah, it was 10 3 final. It was over. Dang. But I, I was like running around the bases like. Rally. I was barely touching the bases. I was on air, even though I didn't want to smile too much because being a teammate down 10-3, we're not celebrating. But I say, Doc, the media like, would okay. have crushed him afterwards, huh, for celebrating in a 10-3 you loss. You know, if the 12-year-old gets a little gets a little pass, that's okay. And Oral, man, he could handle the bat. I mean, I, I certainly know Oral was very hitterish uh, in the box, but to get a bunt down. So the homer in Little League, I, I could see it, no doubt. But you certainly made the right choice getting on the mound, Oral. Well done. How about you, Skip, number three? Um, again, it's, it's, it's managing, and I guess I'm very short-sighted. I have a short memory. <laughs> um, the Max Muncy 18 innings, it, just, it was such a dogfight. And the way that game was going back and forth, and I'm telling you, Eovaldi's performance against us was incredible. Um, I forgot, you know, many people forget that Walker started that game and dominated and but Max's homer backdoor cutter, it was just, I mean, a guy three years prior was at home and then now he's winning games, walking them off in the World Series. Pretty cool. Do you, uh, you take a 2-1 pitcher's duel over a shootout anytime? Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. You take any of our guys' pitcher's duel because that means really good defense. Um, you know, every pitch matters. Uh, because you know you don't have any margin against that day starting pitcher, so I'll take that any day over a shootout. Pitchers duel every number time. three, Joe. Uh, World Series game one, 2017. Chris Taylor hits the home run on the first pitch that Dallas Keuchel throws. Kershaw was awesome. The environment was incredible, and uh, for me, it was the first World Series game that I ever attended. Well, my number two and my number one, I'm going to just do number two, but they both relate to 88, of course. And game four in the NLCS, Mike Sosha, Dodgers down by two. Sosha gets a home run off of Dwight Gooden to tie it in the ninth. Maybe our season doesn't turn out any way that it did without that home run. Kurt Gibson goes deep in the 12th. Jesse Orozco gets two outs in the bottom of the 12th with bases loaded, and Tommy brought me in and I got the save on Kevin McReynolds on a 1-1 sinker in, and the ball was blooped to center field, the same ball that fell in in game one that beat us. But John Shelby corralled that one and, and secured that, and less than 12 hours later, we were back on the field playing game five. People don't talk about that game enough, but that's one of the great games in postseason history. It was a that was a linchpin game for us to continue on to the World Series. Without that game, I'm not sure where we would have been. Doc number two um, for me, it was uh, Father's Day. It was Dodgers Yankees. Uh, I was playing. I think it was 2003, and uh, Yankees come to town, and my father was in town. We were watching the game. My father-in-law was there, 
end up hitting, hitting an inside the park home run. Uh, thank goodness for, uh, I think it was Hideki Matsui in left field. So he <laughs> just kind of zooed one and kind of down the carom, down the left field line, turned to an inside the parker. But uh, Father's Day, there was the first time the Dodgers hosted the Yankees in forever. I, I forgot what you, I mean, it was a really big series. And so I even get letters and, and cards about that day that people were still there in one of their favorite games. So for me, have a good game. We beat the Yankees, won the series um, on Father's Day. And I bet you wore your actual uniforms, not the black and white Backstreet Boys uniforms that Dodgers Yankees <laughs> wore this year. Oh, that was bad. I mean, Come on, you get bad. these like iconic <laughs> uniforms, uh, two of the best in sports, <laughs> Dodgers and the Yankee pinstripes where the Yankees were on the road with the grays, but our home whites. And then we went and rocked the black. It was bad. Gosh. <laughs> See, these are the things we can say on this podcast that we wouldn't see. You wouldn't say in your scrum and all, and I wouldn't say on the air. But that was pitiful, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, my number two. Grew up a diehard Notre Dame fan. I was at the Bush Push game against USC in 2005. It's weird for me to put this in there because it was heartbreaking. Notre Dame lost when Matt Leinart pushed Reggie Bush, or vice versa. Reggie Bush pushed uh, Matt Leinart into the end zone to end the game. Uh, but it was just... It, from start to finish, the atmosphere of the day was impossible to beat. Notre Dame came out, warmed up in its blue uniforms, came back out 10 minutes later for opening kickoff wearing the greens, which is something Notre Dame would do for extra special games. And the environment in there, USC had its 30-game winning streak going at that point or whatever. It, it was incredible, even though it didn't end the way that uh, I wanted. Or what's number one for you? It's a combination of the 88 World Series. Game two, personally, was the best game of my life. Uh, throwing a three-hitter and getting three hits. Uh, but fast forward to the last game and throwing the last pitch of a World Series and striking out Tony Phillips. Uh, it will always be my most exciting moment in baseball to be on the mound, to get that ring, to do that for the city, for, for the teammates. And I can't wait for the skipper and this generation to experience that. Wow. That, that's uh, something that is pretty special. and. There's only a few people that can uh, relate to that that moment for you, Oral. Well done. That's great. That's fantastic. How about you, Skip? Uh, you know what? There's just, there's obviously, you know, when you say number one, there's just so many. And I, I just yeah. think that this kind of encompasses, you know, what I love is, and we all love our moments. And I just love the the guy who's very selfless, the selfless, the, the, the consummate teammate, the underdog, um, you know, Charlie Culberson's home run, um, you know, a few years ago uh, to clinch the West and beat the Rockies and Vin's last home game. And so for Charlie, that moment, the teammates loved him so much and respected him. And so for him to have that big moment, that was, I guess, uh, not to dis disrespect him, but was unexpected. <laughs> um, but and then also to celebrate with Vin afterward, the fans after you know, it was just such a, a great moment, you know, for me as, as a manager and just seeing kind of how that all came to light. So honestly, guys, there's so many great moments that we've all witnessed. But I just think for Charlie and, you know, the Dodgers and to spend that moment with Vin, I thought was pretty amazing. That was pretty special. You brought the whole team on the field. And I remember you got the mic. And I think you first thing you said is, Vin, this one was for you. And it was really a special moment for everybody in the crowd. And then, and then Vin giving his speech from the booth. It was, uh, it was an exceptional day. 
Doc, I think you're allowed to say that it was unexpected. Even Vin on the call of Culberson's home run said, would you believe a home run? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So sorry, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My number one is a game that I'm sure you guys know all about. 2005, Potterville High School at Fowler High School. (laughs) Here we go. For the big brown, the little brown jug. This is our biggest rival. Um, and you know, I, I've mentioned several times before. I grew up in a football family. My dad was a longtime coach. Now I'm a senior quarterback playing in this rivalry game at Fowler. Uh, you know, they're a powerhouse program. They've won five or six state championships in the last couple decades. We were down. We were up early, and then we fell behind. We were down 47-34 with a couple minutes left, and we wound up winning the game 48-47. And I set some records and you know, did my thing. So that would be, but I don't have to tell you guys. You, Were you a pocket passer, Joe? Uh, yeah. And then when I got to college, necessity dictated that I became a running quarterback and yeah, in the pocket for a moment and then get the hell out of there. I like it. I like it. That's awesome. So, yeah. All right. So we talked about real baseball this week, got to uh, reminisce a little bit. We're going to talk more about uh, real baseball next week. Why don't we guys plan on next week? talking a little more about what 60 games means, what it means for the team, and, Doc, what it means for you as a, as a manager. No, that'll be great, and I'll have a lot more clarity as far as uh, how it's going to look, how spring training, so I'll have some good insight for all you guys. That's going to be fun. Can't wait. I think we would agree, and this is why we didn't get into it with Doc, the best thing we saw this week was that baseball will officially return. But besides that, what was the best thing you saw this week? Baseball on top, and number two was a Father's Day gift. My son Jordan and my daughter-in-law Alex drove over from Brea, California, over to Vegas and surprised me on Friday night and spent the weekend with us for Father's Day. So that was fantastic to have them in the house. All right. I guess for me, just uh, the whole Father's Day thing was great with the kids. My wife bought them. Well, I guess it was she bought me as part of my Father's Day <laughs> gift. They had T-shirts that, you know, Blake's t-shirt said my dad rocks my world or something like that charlotte Mm -hmm. said best daddy ever so uh that was was pretty cool wasn't there a picture like on facebook of them on the front porch with you or something yeah wearing those yeah Mm -hmm. i saw that shot that was very cute yeah uh mailbag this week oral jason kane wants to know which team we're most looking forward to seeing the dodgers play once the season gets going well um i'm gonna go with an empty ballpark us in the booth, and the Houston Astros on the field. I think it's going to be one of the most interesting times for those two teams to face each other, and I think it'll be a game that that'll be one time that 50,000 people are not needed to bring some intensity to that game. You know, people say that it's a bummer, and it is, that there's not going to be anybody in the stands for the Astros to kind of pay the price this year. But are they going to feel it from the teams that they play? And and an added level of intensity from the other side, even with no fans. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's the same way as the when the champion comes through your park, and and I think this is going to bring a level of intensity to the players that they won't have to figure out how to create it with no fans. That it'll be there naturally. For me, I think we both we had the same answer. Uh, It Mm -hmm. was going to be we're going to say the Astros, and if the other guy said the Astros, the fallback was to say the Giants. Yes. Right? There's something about, for me, the colors and what the colors represent. When you look down to the field and you see the, the crystal white jerseys with the blue and the red trim, 
and then the gray and the black and the orange or vice versa on the when the Dodgers are on the road. There's something about those colors matching up, combining with the color of a baseball diamond and everything that that represents, the history that that rivalry and those colors reflect. Yeah, I think you are so right. If we had uh, one and one A, uh, those would be the two teams. And I think both of those environments uh, and those combatants uh, bring the intensity that the players are going to be looking for and trying to recreate when they play everybody else. What are you most looking forward to this week? Uh, I am looking forward to traveling to L.A. You coming? I think soon, because we're going to probably start to maybe do some studio work. I'm not sure the pregame and postgame shows or the different shows that we're going to have at SNLA. Uh, we're going to be on direct TV, you know, like we are. So this yeah. is going to be exciting to get in the car, pack the car up, leave Vegas, and come back to L.A. and get ready to do some baseball. Well, I guess we're going to be together in the booth. We're going to be together a bunch, so we can kind of right. rip that Band-Aid off. Are you and Dana going to come over and uh, hang out in these next few weeks, see the kids? Yeah, and you know I'm not bringing the green egg from Vegas to L.A., so I'm going to miss my green egg. I'm going to have to adopt yours for a few months. Should we tag team something? Oh, that'd be that'd interesting. Be fun, I, you huh? know what? You don't you don't tug on Superman's cape, and you don't play with some other guy's green egg. <laughs> Which one of us is Superman in this case? <laughs> You're Superman, and I ain't okay. tugging on your cape or your egg. What if I turn around and say, "Feel free to tug on my cape, buddy." I don't know. I, I just think that's not that's not good. You can come to Vegas because you're the veteran at the Green mm-hmm. Egg. I would let you be do my Green Egg kind of thing, but yeah. I don't know about yours. I could teach you my ways. Yeah, I will watch. I will video. I'll be your videographer for your for your cooking with Joe. Can we do a brisket together? And so we'll come. You can yeah. come over. Do a. Uh, you can. We can do a slumber party and <laughs> yeah, drink Mountain Dew through Twizzlers. Right. Set the five a.m. alarm. Get up and throw it on together. I'll sleep. At home in the condo in Pasadena. I'll come over to South Pass like at 4.30 in the morning. Bring the coffee. And we'll do breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. I mean, I'm not opposed to this at all. It would be great. You know what? I'm learning about the green egg here in Vegas. And I've been telling you about altitude here in Summerlin. We're at 3,300 feet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Humidity is affecting. So my cooking here is taking much longer than your directions. But I am learning the environment here. And I'll have to learn your environment. It's like when you go to Coors Field and pitch. Yeah, the pitches don't break the same. You got to make yeah. the adjustment. Pork shoulder was supposed to take about 11 hours. It took 13 and a half. My steaks are supposed to be like three minutes aside and then bake them for a little bit. They're more, you know, more four, four to four and a half minutes aside. So, yeah, it's a little different here in Vegas. How did those turn out last night? I know you were doing some steaks. They turned out great. My fire was up to 650, get the steaks on, seared them. Uh, flipped them and then and they were awesome they the hardest part is when you have i had a dinner party of about eight people i had two medium wells a medium plus a medium minus that's why you don't and ask. two medium rares and it's Just, like you're oh gonna take gosh. it how you get it and like it you the know medium I'm not an wells from chef. now on they're getting like ground chuck i'm not spending on prime meat for these mm-hmm. people who want it medium well it well now you know right. why they've always said chefs get pissed when people put those orders in now that you're a chef oh. yourself yeah, it's just, you know, you guys are not getting prime. You might get choice, but whatever step below that, you might just get a flank steak from now on. If you and you will it. like it. You will take it and you will like it. It'll be like a shingle. Yeah, <laughs> gross. Um, so next week, we're going to talk with Dave Roberts as we touched on uh, a little more about what this is all going to look like. Not not yeah. the logistics of spring training, but the 2020 season and what a 60-game sprint means. 
Yeah, there's going to be a lot of meetings between now and then when we get to talk to Dave. I'm sure, you know, he and Andrew will be huddling and they'll be huddling with the data guys and they'll be huddling with the players. So there's going to be some in-depth analysis on, and we probably might even have a schedule that's announced. I think Mm -hmm. we're going to have maybe some wildfire because on Friday, transactions can open up, right? So mm-hmm. Friday at noon and on Sunday, the 60 man roster at 3 p.m. Eastern has to be announced. So by the time we tape with Dave on Wednesday, there's going to be a lot of happen as far as baseball. You know what I heard? I heard that uh, the Giants are likely to sign Puig. Really? I could see that inject some energy and that would be great to see Yasiel oh. back in the big leagues. And you know what? We'd be playing them a lot too. Yeah, <laughs> ten be a games. Whole new twist the on the rivalry too. You got Bumgarner leaves the rivalry. He's kind of been the face of it for the last decade. He goes to Arizona. You don't think Yasiel Puig would embrace a chance to be that guy? Oh yeah, and that'll uh, bring some zing to any giant Diamondback game and giant Dodger game. Here it comes. Yeah, it's a love triangle. I just can't get enough. <laughs> I uh, love you, buddy. Can't wait for uh, can't wait to get this thing going. We we you and I were on uh, Sportsnet LA together this week. I just loved talking about it and having a real baseball to talk about. Can't wait to yeah, do it more. And love you too. And on that broadcast, it was so great to see Blake and Charlotte come up and sit on your lap and get a little TV time and to see them. And I can't wait to see them and in person and give them a hug. You will be here hours before they are awake when you come with the plan we got going. <laughs> 